Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Caroline Binham. Joining me in the studio today are Patrick Jenkins, our financial editor. Emma Dunkley, our retail banking correspondent, and Ben McClanahan, our US banking editor. This week, we'll be discussing the deregulatory push under President Trump, what the FCA has in store for the UK's retail banks, and how Goldman is comparing with its US rivals. Patrick, you've just come back from a week in the US where you met with Paul Volcker, whose eponymous rule in the wake of the financial crisis banned banks from proprietary trading. What had he got to say for himself? Well, yes, as you say, I did meet Paul Volcker last week. He's a fascinating character. He was one of the highlights of a week that I spent in both Washington and New York, generally talking about this theme of deregulation and the extent to which US banks can really expect breaks in the regulatory agenda that they've had foisted upon them since the crisis. Paul Volcker was, as you might imagine, for someone who led the Federal Reserve for eight years and remains a very thoughtful contributor to a lot of regulatory thinking these days. He was very interesting on both that broader deregulatory agenda and the prospects that he thought lay ahead for the famous Volcker rule, which, as you say, bans prop trading and is probably one of the most controversial rules among Wall Street bankers. They hate it for multiple reasons of bureaucracy around it and obviously because it constrains them from making profits. But I started off anyway by talking to Paul Volcker about what he thought were the biggest risks from deregulation. In the financial world, there's a lot of talk. I think when people look at it in specifically in detail, they're talking about changes around the edges rather than uh, basic thrust of Dodd-Frank and not just Dodd-Frank of what's been done internationally and elsewhere. So I, I think it's too early to become alarmed, but be cautious. Even though Paul Volcker is an arch proponent of regulation and influential in the post-crisis regulatory drive, he does concede that maybe it's gone too far in some areas and thinks maybe the breaks that could be given to so-called community banks, the smaller institutions that serve the regions in America. I don't think there's any question that something can be done to avoid a disproportionate regulatory burden for Truly community banks, the challenge is to define a community bank appropriately. I don't want any uh, speculators to come around in community bank clothing. Finally, I asked Paul Volcker about his own eponymous rule. You have a rule named after you, the Volcker rule. I didn't name it. No, but it's (laughs) been... uh, It has changed the way banks operate. It's changed the culture of trading. I hope to some degree it has changed the culture, and I must say some of my banking friends, I hope they're not just being polite, some of them do say that it's been helpful in in reinforcing that the true culture of the bank ought to be in relationships, not in trading. 
but there are those who are keen to repeal it altogether. What would that do in terms of damaging? Well, I would, I would, it would be an indication that the trading culture and speculative culture is uh, less restrained than it was, and I think that's unfortunate. So from deregulation to perhaps increasing regulatory scrutiny this side of the Atlantic, Emma, you've been looking at what the UK watchdog, the Financial Conduct Authority, had to say as part of its business plan this week. What did you find? So the Financial Conduct Authority is going to launch a review of UK retail banks' business models and will specifically look at different parts of their business and their relative profitability. This comes after the uh, Competition and Market Authority's two-year and £5 million investigation into the sector, which ended last year. Now, the FCA said that, in particular, it will focus on free in-credit banking. This is where current accounts in the UK are seemingly provided for free, with people in credit receiving services such as the ability to withdraw cash from ATMs a lot of the time for free and can make payments seemingly for free. But in fact, it's subsidised by those consumers who fall into overdrafts. So this raises the question as to whether the review of banks' business models could bring to an end the free and credit business model. Figures from the competition watchdog show that UK banks made some £2 billion in revenues a couple of years ago just from consumers falling into unarranged overdrafts. But I should add that when the competition watchdog came out with its findings last year that it stopped short of putting free and credit banking to an end and in fact recommended and ruled that banks should set their own caps on overdraft fees rather than imposing an industry-wide standard and also pushed for something called open banking which is where banks will have to share customer data as long as they um, give the green light for that to allow third parties such as new fintech firms and other competitors to come in, use this customer data and offer them tailored services in order to boost competition. And as you say, Emma, as you alluded to, there's been a long and unhappy history between the regulators and so-called free banking, particularly Andrew Bailey. I mean, he's the head of the FCA now, but he's made some comments in the past about free banking, hasn't he? He has in his former role at the previously named Financial Services Authority. Andrew Bailey highlighted the fact that free and credit banking is actually a myth, as it does indeed cause many consumers to pay costs if they fall into overdrafts, and that this actually spurs or encourages potential mis-selling in order to help subsidise the costs of running current accounts, which for banks are very expensive given the IT infrastructure sitting behind them and the services that they have to provide, such as plugging into the payment systems, providing access to cash through ATM network. And I think an important point to make on that is that it's become relatively much more expensive to run, not just because of the IT investment and so on, but in this ultra-low interest rate environment, banks, which might previously have seen free access to money in terms of deposits in current accounts from their customers as a useful funding resource, all of a sudden, actually, it doesn't make much difference. They can get this money through other means in the wholesale markets and so on for next to nothing. The way in which they can recycle that money for profit is much diminished. So I think, you know, in an ultra-low interest rate environment, the pressures are all the more on this area. Thanks, Emma and Patrick. For our third and final item, we will be looking at Goldman Sachs' first quarter earnings Ben, you've been looking at the figures. How did the bank compare with its US rivals this time? Yeah, uh, shockingly, Goldman normally does pretty well. This has been a rare stumble. 
revenues from the core bond trading unit were essentially flat from a year ago. And a year ago was, uh, you must remember, a pretty terrible time to be a bond trader. You had simultaneously collapsed markets for stocks and bonds and commodities and, and currencies weren't doing much either. But even with that very flattering base, Goldman's performance in the first quarter this year was not very good. I think roughly about a quarter of, of the overall group earnings comes from these units. And it was essentially flat from a year ago when peers like Citigroup and JP Morgan were up comfortably double digit. So what do you think really went wrong for them this time? Well, that's the big question, and it's the question that they haven't really addressed. This quarter was the first for the new CFO, Marty Chavez, so you can maybe cut him a bit of slack and say he's going to grow into this role and provide lots more colour for analysts to get their teeth into. But there were repeated questions on the call, which has just ended, from analysts saying, come on, give us a bit more. This is a huge core engine for Goldman Sachs, and all you've said is that certain parts of it did well, like securitized products and credit, that was fine, but currencies and commodities were weaker. But Mr. Chavez repeatedly batted back those questions, saying that in some market environments you do well, in others less well. And that's all there is to it. And Goldman, in a way, could be seen as a particular bellwether for US banking stocks because they have been particularly frothy since President Trump's election on this expectation that there will be this deregulatory push. But Goldman in particular can lay claim to two former senior bankers that are now close to President Trump. So how do you think this is going to affect broader US banking stocks? Well, it sent a bit of a chill this morning in Goldman's share price, down about 4% last time I looked at it. Morgan Stanley also dragged down a little bit on the assumption that it too may have suffered in an area that it's a lot weaker than Goldman in. But overall, yeah, I think the narrative does need a bit of pep at this point. Shortly after the election, of course, stocks roared on the prospect of lower taxes, lighter regulation, and also higher interest rates. And all three of those engines seem to me now to be sputtering a little bit. And what we really need from the new administration now is is a sense that uh, there is going to be clarity on um, exactly how the financial regulation framework improves to the advantage of the bank. And at the moment, there's not much sign of it, which is why the story, you know, the, the big buy banks trade of the past few months is beginning to stumble. Thanks, Ben. That's it for this week. All that's left to do is to thank Patrick, Emma and Ben in the studio. And thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at fd.com forward slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.